we're finishing up the last few practical questions that we had on the subject of hospitality. If I can remind you of some of the practical issues we talked about last week, it was a very good discussion. Here are just some of the questions that we had. We talked about whether it mattered if you had the so-called gift of hospitality. We talked about that. We talked about frugality and how that affects hospitality most of the time very negatively. We looked at the idea of reciprocity, which has been a subject that's been brought up in hospitality over and over. And we've struggled with that subject a number of times. And we actually talked about this whole idea here of food and how it relates to hospitality. So that was a practical question that's been raised. We also addressed the subject of introversion and like if you're an introvert, does that somehow change the nature of hospitality or even the obligations that you have? We took on a very real concern of not understanding the point of hospitality and we looked at this myth of intimacy, like does every relationship have to be intimate for it to matter? And we kind of dismissed that a little bit uh, and talked about why that seems to be something that often gets in the way of real relationship because we think that every relationship, if it's not intimate, is somehow not a real relationship and somehow we've been sold a bill of goods there. We talked about boundaries, about how far we can go and what realistically we can do and some of you had some very good comments on that. And we ended with these two questions that we addressed, which is if you're uncomfortable with someone's habits, what can you do about it? And we talked about the subject of confrontation a little bit. And then we also talked about, well, if you don't have a home, how can you be hospitable? And as part of that discussion, looked at the obvious ways that hospitality doesn't always invite someone into the home or doesn't always include a meal, although those are its main components. But there are so many other ways that hospitality can be extended. We talked about all those last week. And I was very glad that we had so much feedback from you last week because I think it's going to help people who come back to listen to this sometime when they hear that very real question to have somebody giving a very real answer. So we only have a few questions to go. Jeremy. Yeah, I just wanted to have an amendment to last week's conversation because at one point we got into the conversation of like strangers being equivalent to like homeless people or homelessness. Like that was at the very end and, and, and I was thinking that what bothered me about that is like there are I don't know, 5,000 strangers on this campus. I don't know them, they're strangers to me. Um, and so I think we need to think more broadly about what the stranger is. I felt like like last week we got kind of pigeonholed into, well, strangers are homeless people and I don't want them in my house. Like, well, wait a minute, no. Like, there's a ton of strangers all around us um, that aren't homeless, they're just, you know, the class of strangers is bigger than homeless people. Um, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, you know, this week, a friend of mine called me who they're coming to a youth conference here at APU and they don't live very far away they're an hour and a half from here and he said I've got eight or nine people who are coming to the conference here at APU and I said great <laughs> but you know the next sentence was do you think that we could stay at your house and I was just thinking like you mean you or the you plus the eight or nine people and he said, no, all of us, like, do you have room at your house for all of us to stay? Yeah, in my mind, I'm thinking right away, great. We happen to be in this series on hospitality where we've been talking about this for five weeks. This is going to be really uncomfortable for me uh, to say, well, let me, uh, let me get back to you on that. I've got to get Lena to listen to the first five podcasts first, and then we'll make a decision, you know. That's a stranger, right? But yet, they're not homeless. 
I mean, they could get a room somewhere. They could maybe even find accommodations on campus. But the real question is, under the standard of hospitality, they've asked and they've said, we'd like to come over. And we've been talking about, subject to these real practical concerns, extending hospitality to say, sure, absolutely, come over. I mean, you're coming for a very good purpose and we should support that in any way. And this will be for a very limited time. It'll be hopefully a night, <laughs> not a week, but I have to figure that out. So yeah, I, I think that's a good call out. All right, so let's keep going with the last of the issues. I've heard this, I'm barely getting by. I don't have any resources with which to be hospitable. It's closely related to the one above it, which is I don't have a home to invite anybody to, but now it's even more focused. Now we're talking specifically about I don't have enough resources to even offer hospitality to somebody else. What would that look like? Like maybe I'm staying somewhere, but I don't have enough resources to actually invite someone over for a meal, or if someone says, I'd like to come to your house today, I wouldn't have enough resources to go buy food and prepare something. Or if we went out somewhere, I wouldn't have enough resources to just reach across the table and grab the check and say, no, let me get this, let me treat you in some way, or whatever it is that you're gonna do to be hospitable. It's a real concern for some people because many of us are barely getting by. Anyone want to throw out a comment on how you feel about this one? This seems kind of similar to what we were talking about giving, um, in that maybe a first step toward addressing this is to step back and say, okay, well, how do I steward my resources toward myself? What's my spending like about things I want or people who I love? And so if you can kind of see any wiggle room in that, then maybe you can take a good hard look at your spending and say, okay, well, I could have the resources if I weren't just spending everything on myself. Okay, so one place is to really decide whether you are able to free something up, okay? You're talking about somehow reducing your cost so that you have room in your life to be hospitable. The way I could express that is to say, many of us live at the absolute margin. We've talked about this before, right? If there's this much room in our financial house, we take up all of it. What that really means is I have no room for you in my life. If I really cared to be hospitable and to care about you, the you that I know or even the you that might come to my door unexpectedly, I have to actually plan to leave some margin in there. I have to actually decide that I'm not going to live at the absolute margin. Many of us, if we have any amount left, we use it. Okay. That's making sure your house is in order financially from a cost perspective. There's also the revenue perspective. Anyone want to take that one on? The revenue perspective would say that maybe we shouldn't barely be getting by. Being hospitable does take resource. This is one of those ones where I would say put these lenses on for a moment open the book of Acts and start going through the book of Acts looking for the number of people who are mentioned in the book of Acts solely because they provided shelter, food, or resource for the ministry. Look at Paul's letters and the greetings and look at the number of people that are mentioned specifically because they offered hospitality and what that meant was aid to the ministry. Whether it was a house, food, Maybe they just sponsored the entire church in their home, 
or they gave financially. So the church needs people who have resources to do these things. And all of us can't be barely getting by. Some of us are just going to be in that place because circumstances in life, that's the way it's going to be. But there's some of us who are going to be able to do more and some of us right now are able to do more and choose not to. So I would just say one way to do it is to leave some margin in your life, no matter how much you have resource. But the other harder challenge to say to people is some of us just need to work harder. Some of us need to do more in the kingdom when it comes our way so that we can be more hospitable. It's almost planning to say, I'd like to do what I can to produce what I can so I can contribute. Jeremy. Maybe there needs to be like in monthly budget a hospitality line item. In other words, like not just like wondering what will be left over and hoping that it's something, but actually saying, no, there's going to be like a hundred bucks a month just for hospitality. You know, and if it doesn't get used, then it just gets, you know, I don't know, saved or rolled. I, I, I don't know, but like that's, I think, a little bit different way to think about it. Like to actually say, not just um, whatever's left over, or but, but more pro, be, be more proactive and say like this, you know, fifty bucks or twenty-five bucks is just for instances where I would like to be hospitable. Okay, Heather. I think also we kind of get hung up on being extravagant with that, like outside of our means extravagant. Whereas like you can extravagantly love someone by just providing them the shelter, or you know, like being like, well, I have this small meals offer. Yeah, and I think that's where the, the it goes back to that margin thing. I think that one of the reasons we live at the margin is we won't sacrifice. We feel entitled to every bit we have and never see what we have as something that we have to hold up in stewardship and say, okay, some of this has to be laid aside. Like, it wouldn't be weird for us to say there's a line item for giving, right? That wouldn't be strange. Like, everybody who's ever learned anything about how it is that you need to give faithfully to church from a practical perspective is taught, well, you're going to have to actually make a budget, lay aside a certain amount, and give that first right off the top every month. Otherwise, if you wait to see what's left, there's nothing left. Okay, well then you would do the exact same thing with the places where you want to leave margin. And I think it was really good last week that AJ brought up that margin also involves time. Like we could just be so busy we don't even have time to be hospitable or we don't have time for anybody because we've made our life so literally at the margins again with our time that if something were to happen where somebody came into your life and said, I need help, you would have to sacrifice something really important because you've just overdone it and you just can't slow down. But in both of those cases, I think the only way to do it is to say, okay, here's an amount. I'm setting that aside. Or in my budget, this is always available to do. But hear me, that's about costs. Don't forget, there's some of us, our excuse to not be hospitable is to say, look, I'm barely making it. And like I said, there are circumstances that's very legitimate. Some of us in life circumstance are in a tough place. But some of us could be doing better so that we can actually be hospitable. It's a central thing to what we do. Isn't it a little bit overwhelming for the stranger who comes in to suddenly receive this hospitality? 
Maybe they just want to hang out at the edges of the group and they don't want to be just brought in suddenly into a home, into a meal, into a place and be shown this much attention. Doesn't that make people feel uncomfortable? What do you think? This is an important question for a group like this that spends so much time together on Sunday nights, on Wednesday nights, serving together, on Fridays. We do a lot of things together. So if someone comes into this group or someone comes into your circle of relationships, is it valid to think that they might be overwhelmed if you suddenly just bring them in? Is that too much in today's society? What do you think? Yeah. I feel like, uh, like part of the aspect of hospitality is to not make them feel overwhelmed. Like a good example, we were at a new song the other day, and this lady came up to us and just started talking to us. And I didn't know this lady, and she didn't know me. Um, and it was just the way that she presented, like asking us questions that she didn't make us feel awkward about that. I feel like in the case of bringing somebody into your house, like one of the goals should be to not make that person feel overwhelmed and awkward about being there, but like show hospitality and actually feel welcome. It's a skill, right? Yeah. And I think we need to get better at it in this group. Like one of the goals for next year, by the way, for this group, I think, because we have this really weird situation right now where we've been asked to be on campus and to use this group as a springboard to actually reach out to other graduate students on campus and bring them into more of a discussion-based group because they feel like that's the best way in addition to what they already do in spiritual care to try to bring people into the group. But I've seen some people come in and it's a hard place to move into a group that kind of already knows how the thing works. We're already in the middle of a long series. We, we kind of understand how each other think, where each other come from. That's a form of hospitality I think we really need to work on. Just the skill of being able, just like Ben said, to bring someone in, make them not feel like there's a huge spotlight on them, but to invite them in a way that they also don't feel left out. You know, part of the uniqueness of this group can also be very ostracizing to people who aren't used to how it works. And we know each other so well and are so comfortable with each other, we'll make fun of each other, we'll have inside jokes about things, that to other people that might make them feel like they're on the outside looking in. And I think even the way that we not just greet one another or greet them, but the way that we're trying to bring them into something that's a little bit overwhelming in itself. The fact that we even open up dialogue to let people say what they really think about a subject is in my mind a form of letting people feel at home and open so that we are hospitable with one another even in the way that we study spiritually. But that's going to be overwhelming. I want you to think about how we develop a skill of being able to make people feel comfortable in our midst. Whether that's inviting them in on Wednesday night so that they can feel comfortable in that setting where people are much more informal. Whether it's inviting them afterwards when we leave here where we can sit down together at dinner and maybe be more comfortable there as well. But we're constantly in that place where we're trying to think of how do we extend hospitality that way. And I think that's a very important thing for us to resolve. And honestly, I don't think we know how to do it very well. One of the things that's always driven me crazy, other than the side hug, which we've already banned, so the side <laughs> hug is gone now. One of the other things that has driven me crazy a lot of times when I go to groups is the way they thank you for coming. It's kind of ostracizing. Like if you see a stranger come in and then the people who are in the group say, hey, thank you for coming. I mean, I guess it's nice and polite, but it's also saying to the person, like, you did us a favor by coming. Or we're grateful that you came. It makes it feel like they've done something and we're this other thing. 
how do we just find the skill to say one another, like instead of, hey, thanks for coming, just to say, I'm really glad you were here. Or I'd like to see you again. I hope you come back. Like something like that that would just change ever so subtly even the language that we use. Instead of making it like, hey, you did us, and there's a them and an us already just in the way we talk to people, we could find a way to make it just that much simpler. Anyone else want to add something to this? Because you've, you've all at one point or another been new somewhere, if not here. Comments? I think we could do a better job of this. And I think it's, I agree with what you're saying. I, I don't see us erring on the side of being overly friendly. I think as a group, we do get into kind of like a niche that's comfortable. But the beauty of this group is that you can come in and you can leave and you can come back and people are in transition and some people stay and some people go. And that's, like, I think that's something we're going to have to really develop a skill for. Yeah, we've always tried really hard to tell people that we're an open door, you can come and go as you please, and that we don't have to explain yourself when you come back, like where have you been? But we still have to develop the skill of letting people feel comfortable even when they come back, that they're still a welcome guest at every moment when they're here. And that does take practice. And it is easier to just, just skip that. So how would you, practice that? Like, how would you develop that skill? I think it requires that every time we see someone who is either returning to the group, not there very often, or is even new to the group, that we all together as a group find a way to come around some people, and, but skillfully. And it's going to take a lot of practice because people are different. I don't think there's going to be a one-size-fits-all for each person. But it's very important, though, that I sometimes look around the room and I realize that we're not even making that much of an effort. Not just in welcoming someone, but even with people that we know. To make them feel comfortable. Like I can think of one person right now who doesn't come very often, but every time they do, the first question is, hey, where you been? Right? Which right there puts them in a category of, you're an occasional attender. And I would want to say, I don't know, we could take a different perspective on that if we could and say, hey, it's great to see you. Like, what have you been up to? Like, just, they already feel the awkwardness of, I've got to explain myself. And I want as much as possible to disarm that bomb <laughs> and just have no compulsion to explain where they've been from any kind of guilt perspective. Just, hey, it's good to see you again. Come on in. We miss you. Come on in. Join what we're doing over here. Or let me tell you what we've been doing the last couple of weeks so you can catch up. And we got to work on those kinds of skills to bring people in so they don't feel that there's any reason that they're thinking, if I go there, the first thing I'm going to have to do is explain where I've been. Krista. I think it also takes patience and listening, like good listening skills. I think that's something that everybody can always be improving on, is just listening. And what I mean by patience is just that being present with the person. You know, because I think, I know for myself, I'm usually always kind of like going, going, going. So when I'm with a person, especially a new person, but really with anybody, I want to be patient. I want to kind of stop for a second and be present with that person. And I want to listen to them. And I think if we can improve on our listening, um, everybody likes to talk. So if you're listening, that's going to make them feel welcome. And hopefully there's a return as well that they can listen to. One thing that's in this question, there's an assumption here, and it's 
isn't it a bit overwhelming? Or isn't it a little bit awkward? Or isn't it a little bit strange whenever you practice hospitality at all? And the answer is yes, yes. Specifically, two weeks ago, you remember that we, in addition to communion, decided to wash one another's feet. And I know that as soon as we announced that, I intentionally didn't say that we were going to do that ahead of time. Because I wanted to create the feeling all of a sudden of, oh no, <laughs> it's a little bit intimidating. It's a little bit strange. It's going to be difficult for me to do this. All hospitality is like that in some way. If someone were to come to our door unannounced, or even to call up somebody who said, hey, I'm a friend of so-and-so, and I need a place to stay. Do you mind if I could stay there tomorrow night? Already there's something strange going on that makes us feel a little bit like, oh, I have to think about this. I have to understand how this is going to work. What's it going to be like to meet with this person? What are they like? What do we need to do? What's the expectation going to be? That's always there in hospitality. So I don't want us to ever get to the point where I'm thinking, well, once we get the skill down, this will be the easiest thing to do. There's always something to it, but we're called to that. Christ compels us to that. Just like it's difficult for me, as I've confessed, to go to a prison and to meet with somebody that I already know. It's not even a stranger. I know this person, and they're there. And just the whole process for me, and you think, well, as an attorney, you should be comfortable with this. I don't do that kind of law. <laughs> it's very foreign to me to go into a place where they're like, putting me through all this kind of weird security and making me sign all this stuff and fingerprinting me and just to go talk to somebody on the other side of a glass booth on a phone, just like in the movies, you know? And after all of that happened, I was very, very glad that I did. And I think there was really a strong bond that was built just in that effort, just in that place of following Christ and saying, I was in prison and you visited me. So I don't think we'll ever erase this completely. What if someone is invited into my home steals from me? That's very practical. If I said to you that I have somebody who wants to come stay with you at your house, does anyone think that that's a concern? Does it cross your mind? That maybe somebody who stays with you for a while might actually take something and walk away? Yes? I've had it happen before. Anyone else have it happen to them before? You've had it happen? Yeah, when I was in college, we actually had to budget for it because we had people in our apartment so much. We had a budget set aside for replacing things stolen from us. Okay. Ryan, same thing? Okay. I told you that when you know, someone asked to stay with us for a while, um, we had the same concern. Like, we're not home during the day. What if they take stuff? So it crossed our mind. I'm not happy that it crossed my mind because I think what this question highlights it's true that this could happen. You budgeted for it. That's very interesting. Uh, I think we all should budget for it. I think we all should budget, maybe not in the same way that Jeremy was talking about, about you know, there's like a giving amount, and there's a hospitality fund, and there's, always, there's also like the theft replacement fund, you know? <laughs> but I think it's important that we consider budgeting for it in a different way, maybe in a spiritual sense. That the reason that this is even a factor is because we have too close of a relationship with our stuff. And that relationship that we have with our stuff really gets highlighted. I mean, this is a legitimate question. Many of the people that I've read their stories or their experiences with hospitality 
especially people who live in intentional communities where they look for, you know, they invite people to come and stay, all of them report that people will take stuff, not everybody, but that it happens. I don't even know the percentage. Is it, you know, 20% of people, 30 I don't know. But it happens, and it happens more frequently than we would think, especially when you don't know the people that you might be inviting into your home. But if you know it's going to happen, it's not a reason not to do it. Monique. Like, I totally agree with everything that you just said. You should not try to give someone a place to stay because of fear of your things being taken and things like that. But at what point, like, if someone, especially if it's the same person, keeps wanting to stay with you and keeps, like, ripping you off, are we to just, and maybe the answer is yes, continue to bring them in knowing like it almost becomes like an enabling situation or knowing they're going to take from you, just say, okay, we'll come in anyways. Like if it's a repeat offender, I guess is my question. I think that goes back to the question we had where do I just basically become a doormat whenever people do things that I don't agree with within my own home or in my own life. Let's say it's not inviting them in to stay, but you're showing hospitality in some other way. And I'd say, no, there is a line. I would also say it's probably further out than most of us think it is, whereas the first time it happens, we probably cut somebody off. I believe that it's probably further out. But I do think that the word you use is enabler, and we have to be very careful when we actually begin to support someone's conduct in a way that does, you know, without consequence, without penalty, without even confrontation or without calling them on it. I mean, I'm sure that most of us would probably say something if we looked and the TV was gone, right? <laughs> um, so really the question is first to check our own heart. Am I so concerned with my stuff that if I took someone in who needed a place to stay that I'm more concerned about the stuff than in showing hospitality? Clearly check your heart because it means you have a relationship with your stuff that's probably closer than it should be. You love your stuff too much. but moving a little bit further down that line, if for some reason you find that this is repeating, then I, I think you have a different issue now. And you have to confront that person in a very loving way, but in a firm way to say, look, this actually can't go on. And I won't allow this to go on because I'm helping to enable this behavior. What I'm trying to say is you don't want to err on the side of like, look at me. I love the Lord so much, I'm going to let you stay with me and steal things without actually speaking truth, which the Lord loves, I would say, as much. To say, it is wrong for you to do this, and I won't allow you to continue to do it. That's where the line is. Yes? Yeah, just, and again, like, this seems like a really extreme, not extreme in the sense that I think most people, like, if Carissa needed a place to stay, I'm not worried about her stealing. I might be shocked if she stole something, right? I think most people... <laughs> most people aren't going to steal something from you. So, like, what's disturbing about this kind of question to me is it's like, it's a more extreme case of what could potentially happen, but it then becomes used as the, well, someone could steal from me, so I'm not even going to go down the path. Um, and it's like, yeah, I mean, if it was a complete stranger, then okay, sure, it might cross my mind, so uh, I'll make sure to put my laptop in a place where it's behind a door locked. I mean, I mean, there's like really practical things you can do, right? If there's something you're so worried about. Um, and then I also thought to myself, like, well, what is it that that person's stealing? Because that's kind of an indication, right, as to where they might be or where they might need help. So 
in that kind of like not that we're, we're not therapists, but in that kind of confrontation of like, hey, I noticed that you know there's half a bottle of vodka left or something, <laughs> you know, and it was full earlier today. That sorry, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah, that's stealing, and we might have another issue here. So or you know, is it money? Is it you know, whatever it is, you know, it's 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 interesting, at least to me. That there's, you know, there's a need there too. Like there's something that their heart is saying that maybe they don't know any other way to express it than just to take it. And and there's shame and fear there as well. My only comment would be that the question actually highlights more of our fear. If you want a visual, by the way, do you guys remember? You remember Les Misérables? You remember that? Is it Jean Valjean? Yeah, so Jean Valjean is in need of hospitality. And he goes to the home of the friar and takes shelter there and then steals all the silverware and runs out the next day. And of course, the whole thing that begins the whole plot of this is when he is forgiven for this act after he's been arrested and brought back. Of course, the friar pretends that he has given this to him as a gift. And that's the whole idea of redemption and the whole idea of giving someone a second chance, but it just reminds me that you could see in just that tension that begins the whole plot, just the point of hospitality, and yet someone could take from you, and the response there is one of forgiveness and openness with your hand to extend even the valuable silverware that you have uh, to give someone what they really need. The thing that makes us so angry is it's mine, and yet we have to always remember that nothing is ours. That we all hold everything in stewardship to him, and while it's not wise stewardship to allow people to steal, and it doesn't make their actions right, the indignation that rises in us comes from a separate sin. And we have to recognize that, and then it turns into anger, and anger is the same as killing according to the Sermon on the Mount. And that's why all of these things come, and all of a sudden, what seems like a clear-cut case, Jeremy stole from me, suddenly becomes not so clear-cut when we figure out what all the competing issues are and who has to go to who and who has to resolve it. Last one. I worry that inviting a stranger into my home is not safe. How can I show hospitality in a world where so many people are out to harm others? Now, many of the questions that I've been addressing tonight are practical issues that I've heard as we've walked through this series from different conversations I've had. What I want to tell you is that this question was not one that came up from our group. This is a question that was actually addressed by John Calvin. 500 years ago or so, there was this same concern as people, whether it was Christian communities like the one that he was leading in Geneva, or whether it was just people preaching about the same verses that we looked at during this series, whether it's Luke 14, Matthew 25, all the verses that we covered, people had the practical concern of, well, it might be okay to do that, but it would be safer if we just housed them at the church or something. It'd be safer if there was some public place for them to go. If I bring them into my house, or if I even bring them in just for a meal, they could do harm to me, you don't know the evil that's going on in the world. The funny thing is, in the writings that John Calvin relate to the subject, he was looking at the same scriptures that we looked at when we walked through the Old Testament, how Abraham had brought people in and those kinds of things, and he had said, well, back then, back then the world was relatively at peace, 
and everybody was good to one another, not like today, meaning in, you know, John Calvin's time, when there's all these bad things going on in the world, and it just made me smile because I think that's how we feel. We feel like, oh, well, back then in the Middle Ages when everything was safe, you know, like we have no idea, right, what we're talking about. We think somehow it's always been safe until recently. And actually, if you think about it, Calvin made the same mistake. He's thinking, well, back in Abraham's time, everybody was just, you know, they lived in tents and nobody robbed from one another. Right. Have you read that part of the Bible? Like, that doesn't make sense, especially when we read that story of Lot and what they wanted to do to his visitors in the next story. I don't think it's ever been safe to do this. I don't think any of this was ever commanded or even required or even just part of the culture at a time when it was perfectly safe to do so. So it's always going to involve risk. It's always going to be difficult. It's always going to come not as a natural thing, but something that we have to work and be disciplined enough to do. That being said, I don't think we should ever be in a place where we intentionally put ourselves in harm's way completely. I don't want anything I say in here to be taken as like, sure, whoever comes to your door, just invite them in. Do whatever you want and don't think at all about safety because there are many stories of places where this has led to harm to the family. Again, in the stories that I was reading in these books, there are stories of not only things disappearing like material things, but there have been instances of kidnapping, molestation, harm to the family. There have been some people who have actually killed other people in a home. So it's real and it happens, and I don't know that it's happened any less though at any other point in time. I think it's always been part of our human nature to be bad people. And there's always been this kind of element. So it's a reality, so I want to be clear. Yeah, don't put yourself out there in the most unsafe place, but there's always an element of risk in everything. And if I could dare to say this, we have a weird relationship with our stuff. We might sometimes have a weird relationship with our life. If I told you that you had a weird relationship with your stuff, like you're too materialistic, you might hang on to it. Most of us go, yeah, I could see that. But the challenge that I was reading about was maybe we have sometimes too close of a relationship with our own life. That we think that our safety is paramount over everything when we know that our life is limited and that ultimately... The person who shows the greatest love for their friends is the one who lays down his life or her life for them. Again, I'm not saying go out there and just go, woohoo, I'm going to find a serial killer and invite him in because that would show Christian love. I'm not saying that. But it is a question that left me wondering and that challenged me a little bit because I'm very comfortable pointing out the relationship of stuff to people and how much they love their stuff too much. But we don't often think of our own life in a way where maybe we're too intent on being so safe that we actually don't sacrifice and don't risk for the very things that the kingdom requires. Just a thought, but maybe it'll just help us to realize that maybe we value our safety so much that we refuse to risk and sacrifice. Comments on that? I liked, I think last week we had talked about the idea of working together towards hospitality because, I mean, even now, like, I would be terrified 
you know, if Chris is the only one at home and I'm supposed to be out somewhere and she's inviting totes, you know, like that that just freaks me out, you know, and I don't know if that's unhealthy. Actually, there's part of me that thinks I shouldn't be, you know, like, I, I don't know. Uh, so I have a hard time just being like, yeah, don't worry about your life, you know. I mean, and, and I guess talk about what you're saying, with laying down your life with your friends, because that is very hard to do. But there's something that feels very different about, yeah, somebody intruding on your home and taking your life. That's not laying down your life. You're getting killed. You're not laying down your life for anybody. Like, with, you know, you're just, that just seems like senseless wrong. Okay. Tiffany? I think that it gets messier when other people are involved. Because it's one thing to say, okay, I can love my life less when it comes to like my spouse or if like then I have kids, like can I say the same thing? I, you know, I love God so much that I, I'm willing to place their life and his life like on the line by inviting somebody in. I think that's something different than just saying, okay, I hate my life so much or, you know, in that Christian way, like hating your own life, like laying down your own life for your friends, but what if it's other people's lives that are in the mix too? Okay, Jeremy? You were talking about like how we value our safety, and that what that made me think of was like, like it's a bigger cultural thing. It's, in other words, like our fear um, or our desire to be safe is bigger than just like ourselves. A part of it is ourselves, and I think we actually live in a society that has a lot of fear, um, and some of it doesn't need to be there. So what I'm not saying is that we just say, oh, there's no dangers in the world, so let's just not do anything to, you know, not be safe. But we err on the side of, well, I'll do whatever we can to be safe, and if that means this, this, and this happens, whatever, I'm not going to worry about it because I'm safe, right? I think if I could say that a little bit differently, we have a fear of death so much in our society that we have invented so many euphemisms to avoid even dealing with illness, death, suffering, so that's at a societal level. Uh, Tony Campolo actually has a really good chapter in one of his books about why Christians need to overcome the fear of death and why it's actually holding us back. And how we've actually, even in the church, gotten rid of death or even seeing death and moved death aside. And the reason I think that point is important is I think you're right. We could use safety, by the way, as an excuse not to do these things. And the things that I'm talking about is our fear could be a reason that we don't do the very things that I believe Christ commands. I'm not saying that you should put yourself in harm's way in every time. And I'm not even saying that in Morgan's example that you should open the door and let someone come in to kill you. Yeah. Well, what I am saying though is that oftentimes our insistence on safety prevents us from opening the door in the first place. And we don't know what they're gonna do. But because we don't know, we err on the side of safety and we actually end up disobeying the very thing that we've been talking about that Christ compels. That is overvaluing our own well-being when we're not even certain what's going to happen, but we would err on the side of safety so much that we would be disobedient. That's kind of like what I was going to say because there was a few comments before Jeremy's where it's like, that's not like, there's no honor in that. That's not laying my life down. That's my life being taken. That's so senseless. That's so this, that. And I don't think we need to look at it in terms of like, it's this honorable thing you're laying your life down with a stranger who just wants to harm you or take from you. But it's more like you were saying a relationship with valuing your own life above everything else when our life really is not our own anyway. So it's like, it shouldn't be an excuse. Not that we should be stupid about it, 
but like you were saying, it's like the fear. It's not about like like senseless thing ha senseless things happen, but like you can't value something that's not even yours to begin with. Like our life really isn't ours to begin with. There's part of me, I mean, maybe I'm afraid of death, but ultimately it's like, if I really believe in this stuff, I'm going to be in a good place when I die. I'm going to be just fine. But it's all the other people, right? You know, I think what Tiffany pointed out is like, yeah, like offering somebody else's, you know, or, or you know. Do you notice all these objections are coming from the two engaged couples in the room? <laughs> is this the reason that Paul said, maybe it's better for you to remain single so that you can serve me better? Where's Lena? Like, she with us. We're married. It's, it doesn't yeah. matter after that. You know, like once. Uh, <laughs> now we're ready to go. You know? Joseph. I think going back to German society, today, I find it interesting <laughs> that we're willing to go on missions and put ourselves out there when we leave our society in a completely unsafe place. <laughs> and then we come back, and then it's okay, back to safety. You can't have anybody over. You can't do anything risky. It's our and then we go back, leave society again, go to some other country, and then it's. Do something completely insane or completely risky. Okay. Three risks we've identified tonight. Risk to your stuff, risk to your own emotional well-being when you don't like awkwardness or any kind of strangeness that might come with inviting someone in or actually sitting down with people you don't know, and the risk of safety. Maybe we just need to rethink those and just not make those an excuse. Let's make that the final point. All of these things are practical issues. Now, here's two things that you can do. Number one. We started to talk about it last week. Do this with other people. In many, many cultures, everyone knows when a stranger is in the midst. And the whole community comes around to work with that. Here in this country, we all live separately, except when we come together for something like this. I could have invited a stranger into my house this week on Wednesday. He could have killed me, and you probably wouldn't know for a couple of days. We don't have the kind of community anymore. And it's not just this group. I mean, this country doesn't have the kind of places. Maybe there's some small towns somewhere left that this still operates on. So if we want to at least do better at those three things, helping to get beyond encouraging one another about our stuff, working together to maybe better ensure safety, maybe even helping one another to get over the ideas that we have in our head about how difficult it's going to be to actually be hospitable then we can do it together. Invite people in this group. Do that practically. But here's the hard thing. It's hard to follow through. This week I was talked to by a couple who decided to bring someone into their home who needed a place to stay. And it wasn't for like a week. They knew it was going to be for like a year. This person was on really down on their luck. And they were explaining to us that when the church called and said, would you let this person stay with you? that the church also said, don't worry, there's going to be other people who are going to help. We have so-and-so who's going to help look for a job. We have so-and-so who's going to help with certain types of counseling. We have so-and-so who's going to help prepare meals. Like, it's a whole package. You would just be providing a place to stay. They're pretty hospitable people to begin with. They said yes, and that was the last they heard of all those other people that were supposed to help. Everyone else flaked. We need to be better at that. If we're actually going to do things together, we actually have to do things together. And it means that you're going to have to ask people in the group and say, please, I would like to show hospitality to this person, or I know somebody who's new in town. We should like bring them over somehow, but I don't have a place to do it. Could we do it here? Or could we get together to do it? That's one way to do it. Do that practically. 
like start to have permission to ask people around you right now to say, I've identified some place where we can show hospitality, but I'd love to have some help in it. And make sure that the people that say you're going to help are committed to help. That's number one. Number two is this 40-day experiment. The 40-day experiment is just a simple task where you take a book, like a journal book I'm talking about, and you try for 40 days to intentionally show hospitality and then journal about it. Now, I know as soon as I say that in this group, <laughs> some of you are like, I'm not journaling. <laughs> no way I'm doing that. So I was reading stories of people who thought, this is the silliest idea and tried it anyway. And some days they just couldn't think of a single way to be hospitable. There just wasn't anything for two or three days. There were some days when their hospitality was something just as simple as giving directions to somebody. Somebody who said, hey, can you help me find this place? And rather than just saying, yeah, I'm not from around here, they actually stopped, looked up something on their phone, helped somebody find their way. And then they just wrote about what that felt like, what it was like to interact with that person, and just reflect on it. Sometimes it was meeting somebody who was needy on the side of the road, and actually rather than just you know, maybe throwing them a candy bar or whatever it is, they actually stopped and spent time talking to them, as difficult as that was, or maybe they were late to something to do that, whatever it is. But they were looking for ways in all 40 days to try to be hospitable and then each day writing about how they felt in doing that. From the people that have blogged about this after doing the 40-day experiment, most have this to say, I was skeptical that this would do anything, but the one thing that many people reported was that it made me look with new eyes because I had a task. I had to write something that day about how I was hospitable or not, or did I miss something? And sometimes the journal entries would be as simple as today, I didn't have any way to be hospitable to anybody. Did I miss somebody? Did I miss something? Was there something I should have seen? Just that level of introspection might give us eyes to see. Those are two very practical things that you can do. And the last thing I'm gonna to say tonight is we have a great chance to continue to practice hospitality in this group because we already do it. The reason we did this series in the first place is because we felt that after two and a half years or almost three now of doing Wednesday nights where we actually invite people into home and feed people and everyone gets to pitch in, everybody gets to participate, maybe help out, bring dessert, do something helpful, that we have an actual working laboratory of hospitality going. If you've missed out on how that works, the reason we did this series was to highlight what hospitality is, and you have a chance to do something and actually ramp up a little bit. We also show hospitality in other ways, even as simple as doing Door of Hope. Some of you have never been to serve at Door of Hope. Like there's a chance at least once a month to go down and show the way that we can help others even in their place. Right? We're assisting people who show a whole different level of hospitality, right? where people can stay long term, and we can be part of that. There are small ways, too, that I see here on Sunday nights as people come in and out that we need to get much better at helping people to feel very welcome and comfortable as strangers and hopefully as future participants. So I'd encourage you to say that we're already doing some of these things, if you're wondering where to plug in and you don't know still, then ask. There are many ways where I could say, hey, let's start with something simple. Bring dessert. Treat the other people in the way that you've been treated. 
Or do something simple like, hey, next time, like somebody, I told you once, somebody who said, like, I can't cook worth a darn, but if you just tell me what ingredients to buy, I'll go get them. And that'll just at least save you an hour of being at the store. Just give me a list and I'll go buy those things, right? Something as simple as, you know, people in the group have said, like, I'd like to cook for a change. Like, let me do it once just to be able to provide back. We have a working lab. Let's use it. Uh, to be able to become more hospitable. And so hopefully this series has helped us to do that. Let's close in prayer. Lord, the picture in scripture that you give us is as a host. You invite us to your banqueting table. And throughout scripture, you give us so many pictures of the ways that we're going to dine with you. The way that your invitation is open. Lord, your invitation in the book of Revelation is to stand at the door and knock. And if we were just to open and invite you in, that you would come and dine with us. And you use that as a picture of the invitation that we give you to enter into our lives and become not just the guest, but the host of our entire life. Lord, our scriptures are drenched with images of hospitality and we scarcely see them because we live in a country that doesn't understand hospitality. So Lord, break us free from our cultural bonds. Let us see the things that you give us in scripture from the eyes in which they were first written, from the host that creates and then enters into his own creation and brings all things to completion so that we would be with you forever at your table. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful gifts that you pour out on us. May we become stewards who hold everything with open hands back to you. All of our stuff, all of our time, and yes, Lord, all of our hospitality. Pray this in your name. Amen.